Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. I'm going to begin with a question. Do you want this year to be like last year? Or do you want a better year in 2020? Anybody want a better one? Or you're satisfied with what you had in 2019? Well, praise God. You know, it's easy to have what we had in 2019. All you have to do is what you did then. Whatever you did in 2019, just do it again and you'll have the same thing. Right? Absolutely. But if you want a better 2020, someone's going to have to change and some things are going to have to change. And last I checked, he said, I am the Lord and I change not. Well, if God hasn't changed... Who has to change? We have to change. There's some things that we've got to do as a church body and also as individuals in order for us to have a better 2020, better than it was last year. You can't be doing the same thing and expect something different or the outcome to be different. If we keep doing the same thing, we'll keep having what we're having. Well, as we review last year, as we look at our own lives, we're talking about fasting and prayer and waiting upon God. And sometimes people think, if he just sees me fasting, he's going to do something greater. No, he doesn't change. Fasting does not change God. It doesn't move God. Fasting positions us to be changed so that we can receive what God has already freely given us in Christ by faith. You know what gets in the way? Unbelief, doubt, fear, worry, anxiety. We can develop over the years as even being a Christian some patterns of behavior that can hold us down, keep us bound, and prevent us from experiencing all that Jesus died for us to have. And we got to look at those things and say, okay, I got to break free from this. I got to break free from that. We can get into a religious rut even though we're a Pentecostal full gospel church. You realize that. I want to break free from that. I want to break through from that. Don't you? That's why we want to come together and just let the Spirit of God move here in our midst to direct us into whatever His will is, the Father's will is for our lives. We want what He wants, not what we want. Amen? Well, this is the reason why we're coming together. And what I'm asking is, you ask Him to shine the light of His scrutiny upon your life as an individual. Look back in your life over the years, last year, and determine, you know what? I've had an issue with fear, or I've been bound by anxiety, or jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, animosity. Some things that, mm, maybe not watching my speech, doubt, unbelief. I'm going to be honest with you, Father, and honest with myself. If I want more of you, it's wonderful to sing that song, isn't it? But what it means is I want less of me. The more of you is like, glory to God. The less of me is like, really? Seriously? Why does it have to work that way? Well, we want more of God. It has to be less of self. When you first came to Jesus, what's the first thing he said to do? Deny yourself. 
deny your neighbor, deny your mother-in-law, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself the right to live an independent lifestyle from God. Take up your cross, submit your will to his will and let his will be done in your life. Follow me, allow him to make you what he wants you to be and not what I want to be. I may want to be this, I might want to be that. I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be an NFL football player when I was young. Some want to be a truck driver. Some want to be a firefighter. And that's all great. But you know what? Actually, I wanted to be an accountant too when I was in college. Also took up mechanical engineer. I actually was on a dean's list, mechanical engineer, when I left college. And I, I'm, I left college. I got scared because they wanted me to make a speech and communications class. I wasn't ready for that. So I stood there. I got done, left, and said goodbye. I'll never do that again. I'll never speak in front of people ever again. I've only been doing it for 40 years. Don't ever say you won't do. I could have walked away from it, but God said you will. Let him make you what he wants you to be. Amen. Uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, these things that sometimes hold us back and prevent us from experiencing greater things in God. Remember, we're not just talking about greater earthly blessings. We're talking about a greater manifestation of the living God in our lives. More of God on the inside coming to the outside of us. How many of you know that God wants transformed lives and transformed bodies? You know, we need to know that we are a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. And as a tripart being, salvation is threefold. You were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Spirit, I was saved when I was born again. I got the life and nature of God in me. Being saved is the soul renewal of the mind being renewed. James 1.21 says, put away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your, not spirit, your soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect. And in the Greek it means to deliver you from your corrupt way of thinking. How many of you know when you get saved you don't get delivered from your corrupt way of thinking? You don't. That only happens as you get into the word of God. So you were saved in spirit. You're being saved in renewing your mind to the word of God. And you will be saved. Your body one day will be glorified. Can you say man? You know what? When you're young, you think, oh, what's the big deal about that? When you get to about 80 some years old, you'll say, oh, thank God for a new body. Hallelujah. One that doesn't ache or pain or whatever. Can't even be touched by any of it and that day will come but spirit soul body was saved being saved will be saved the body will be glorified one day and we thank God for that but in John's gospel chapter 8 beginning at verse 30 here let's see something that Jesus said about believers are you a believer tonight and as he spake these words many believed on him well they're believers then then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Do you believe on him tonight? If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice the first word of that 
verse, verse 31. If. If you continue in my word, you're my disciple. Notice he didn't say you're a believer. They believed on him. But he said, to be a disciple, you've got to continue in the word. And if you continue in the word, then you're my disciple indeed. A disciple is a disciplined one who sits at the feet of his master, looking to his face, his countenance, watching his conduct, character, and attitude, speech, and behavior, and says, I'm going to be just like that. And you're changed into who he is from glory to glory. A disciple. You're my disciple indeed. And you shall know epignosko, Greek word that means enter into this knowledge. Enter into this knowledge. It's not just knowing something. It's entering into it. Oneness with it. Electricity. We've talked about that many times. It's here. You might be an electrical engineer. You think you know electricity. He's not talking about that. Knowing is sticking your fingers into the socket and your hair standing on end. Now you know it. You've experienced it. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if we want breakthrough, if we want freedom, we need to know what the Word of God teaches. And we've got to renew our minds to what it says. And we've got to conduct ourselves in such a way. Well, one can believe on him, in other words, and still be bound by bad behavior, conduct, character, attitudes, so on and so forth. Matter of fact, look at the Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses, you can look start verse uh, 25 through 29. The Ephesians, were they believers? Was this a church? Is Paul writing to the church he established in Ephesus? Absolutely. Well, notice what he says to them, those born-again, spirit-filled believers. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place, entry points, topos, ground, territory, entry points to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands. The thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the, edify, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption is the next verse, verse 30. Okay. Why is he writing that to believers? I'm a believer. A believer is a believer. That's great. But a disciple says, whoa. They must have been lying. They must have been angry and sinned. If you read on to chapter 5, he's talking about other things. Immorality. Let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Aren't you glad you're a saint and not an ain't? Aren't you glad for that? You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. Praise God. He made you one. But he's trying to teach them and instruct them to get their minds renewed, to put on Christ. He's talking about putting on Christ and putting off the old man, which is an activity we're responsible to do. It's up to us to put on Christ to have more of him in our lives. How do we do that? Going to the word of God. Look in the book of Romans. Going to the word of God, finding out what he says about our conduct, character, attitude, behavior, speech, etc., etc. It's up to us to do something about those things to have a greater manifestation of God's presence and power in our lives. In the book of Romans, this is the church at Rome. He's speaking to them. And he's making it very clear that. Remember, back in the beginning of the chapter, he said, they said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to answer that question. Or a theologian either. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead in the deed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin. Don't you allow sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. 
that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of God unto righteousness, of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not, apparently we need to know this, that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or in obedience unto righteousness. Notice who you yield yourself to. To whatever influence we yield ourselves to, guess what? Controls our lives. You can be a Christian and still yield yourself to wrong spirits, wrong things. And you know what? That'll control you. And that's why he said, if you keep lying, guess what? You'll become a very proficient liar. Why? Because the enemy who is the father of all liars, who originated the lie, will influence you more and more. And you become more bound to lying, deceiving. And the list goes on, all the other things that he mentions here. Um, could be lust. If you're yielded to that, then it'll become stronger and stronger and stronger because you're yielding to the wrong spirit and wrong things. But you have a choice. You can yield to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. You can yield to the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit that are within us by choice. We could choose to yield to love and not selfishness. We can choose to yield to joy and not self-pity, sorrow for ourselves. We can choose to yield to peace and not anxiety and worry and fretting. It's a choice that we have to make. But you see, just like anyone else or anything else, if you're a drug addict, you've yielded to a drug, the drug has control over your life, and you might have a difficult time breaking free from that. You need a breakthrough. You need to have power over that. But the more you yield to it, the more it controls your life. So if we want to have or experience a greater move of God within, individually and also collectively, we want to kind of sift through some of these things and just say, okay, where are we maybe here as a church body, maybe bound a little bit by some tradition? We want to break through that. We want to rise up above that and change that. We want to yield to God, yield to his spirit and allow him to have his way among us. And so that's why we're fasting and praying individually and as a church body, staff as well, because we want the mind of God. We want to break through. Look at the book of Jeremiah. Powerful scriptures here in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then notice this. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Whoa. That's a wake-up call, wouldn't you say? In other words, Jesus said, I didn't save you for all that. I walked into a Bible bookstore one time to buy some books, and the fellow behind the counter was so excited about his new revelation that he had. Oh, he said, man, I see what you're buying here. He said, I appreciate the books, you know, all that. I'm, I'm glad that you like the things of God. He said, but I found out ultimate truth. 
I said, what's ultimate truth? I want to hear it. He says, this is the day of grace. Has nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with him. He says, you know what? Now that I know I'm saved and by his grace, now that I know I'm set free from all sin, it was already paid for past, present, and future, and already provided for past, present, and future. And as far as I'm concerned, it's already done. So there's no matter what I do, Christ did it all. He said, so I can commit adultery. I can commit fornication. I can do anything I want to do. Guess what? It's already covered. I said, that's your revelation. Okay? We might not see each other in glory, but it's okay if that's your revelation. If that's your ultimate truth that you're living by right now, that's deception. That's the enemy trying to tell someone a lie. Deception. To present as truth what is a lie to get him to fall for it. And he did. Don't fall for the excessive grace teaching. It's not right. God wants his house to be a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. In Matthew's Gospel 21, we are told by Jesus who goes into the temple and he throws out the money changers and those that were selling doves. He said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. So he starts by cleansing the temple, purity. It's a house of prayer. He brings in people to pray for them to get healed. It's a house of power they get healed by the power of God and then when they got done everybody praised God and guess what the religious leaders were upset they're not going to have much power manifested among themselves if they get upset with when God heals somebody delivers somebody and sets them free see religious tradition you can be bound by as well and what does it do short circuits the power of God no it's a house of purity prayer power perfected praise he wants a clean house that's not just collectively and corporately. That's individually as well. As far as we are concerned as individuals, we're to be a temple of purity, prayer, power, perfected praise, to give praise to God. And you know what? There's a fight to fight to achieve that goal. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith, right? I finished my course. So there's a fight to it, and it's called the fight of faith. Because you see, the flesh wants to control the spirit and the spirit wants to control the flesh and there's the renewed mind in there they're both vying for the mind whoever has the mind has control and so we want the mind to be yielded to the spirit so that we can gang up on the flesh and beat it up Paul said I beat up my flesh every single day Paul the apostle who wrote more than half of the New Testament I got to beat up my flesh every day if he had to where does that leave you and me didn't Jesus say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? So there's a fight to fight. And so we want to look at some of, some of the things that maybe we've given ourselves over to in this last year and just say, you know, I am going to change some of these things about my conduct, my character, my attitude, my behavior, my speech, whatever it might be, because I want to experience a greater working of God's power in my life. That's what I want. Look at verse 33. John 8 and verse 33. Now you're going to love this. I've done this. I've talked about this before, but it bears repetition here. Because if we really want change in our lives, and we really want to conform to the image of Jesus, we've got to recognize the fact that we've got to change. 
There's some things we have to constantly be changing. Our thoughts and attitudes must always constantly be changing for the better. Ephesians 4.23, the living Bible. Okay. They answered Jesus. What did Jesus just say? If, you're my, if you continue my word, you're my disciple indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou then, he shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Wait a minute. They were never in bondage? Really? It shows you just how ignorant they could be. Um, excuse me, do you celebrate the Passover? Yeah. What's that? What represents our deliverance from Egyptian bondage? You were never in bondage? Were you in bondage to the Chaldeans? Uh, look around. Aren't you in bondage to the Romans right now? Notice we were never in bondage. In other words, I don't see it. I don't recognize it. Can't be me. I'm not given to anger. I'm not given to jealousy. I'm not giving to fear. I'm not given to worry. I'm not given to doubt. I'm not given to unbelief. No, I'm perfect in all my ways. How dare you point something out like that? I'm the perfect person. Well, look it. Many will never have that breakthrough that they're looking for in their lives because they fail to recognize the need that they have. Everything's okay. Well, if we keep on doing what we're doing, we'll keep on having what we're having. But if we want to have more of the glory and power of the living God manifested in and through our lives, we got to present ourselves to him for change and recognize some of these things and say, you know what? I do have an issue with hmm, anger. Anger could be one of the things I've got to break free from. Okay. How many of you heard of the, you've heard me preach on Smith Wigglesworth many, many times, right? Smith Wigglesworth had a problem with anger. He needed a spiritual breakthrough when it comes to anger. He was a plumber. God mightily used him in the ministry of healing and deliverance. He was pretty wild in his manners and all that. Did some crazy things that you would never do. Kick people off platforms with broken legs. And when they fell on the ground, they would get healed immediately. Punched a lady in the stomach with a huge tumor in her stomach. And instantly it dissolved and went away. She was healed. And the list goes on and on of how God used him. But what people don't realize is that before all this, he was a man given to anger. And anger was stopping him from experiencing a greater manifestation of the glory and power of God in his life. Well, finally, he recognized the fact that he had an issue with this. And he needed a spiritual breakthrough. You know what? It's important for us to recognize it for ourselves. Ourselves. And you know what? He did. And finally he said, Lord, I know you're not going to be able to use me like you want to use me if I don't deal with this anger issue that I have. I need a spiritual breakthrough. I recognize maybe I'm not strong enough in myself. Well, lo and behold, we don't have to be. Because it's not about my strength. It's about his strength, his ability, his power, right? So what does he do? 
He locks himself into his room and says, I'm not coming out until this is dealt with. He stayed in that room, prayed and fasted for some time. And then one day, the glory fell. The power of God fell in that room on him. He said, and burned all this anger out of me. He emerged from that place with a tremendous countenance, a glorious countenance, and he never again yielded to anger to where he would sin. It's okay to be angry, but sin not, right? Right. We could be in anger, and if we lash out and sin, lock somebody in the head, in love, of course. What is it? It's wrong. Okay. So he controlled it, but not in his own strength or ability, but by the power of God. And it was like that in different areas of his life where he recognized that if he had an issue, he would go to God. And you know what? I recommend that we all go to God with our issues. You know yours. I know mine. You know, we all should know areas of our lives that we need a breakthrough. Or we can be satisfied with where we're at and what we're doing, what we're having. Or we can just say, you know what? I want more of you, Lord. I want more of your operational power in my life. I want more of who you are and what you have. Because I want to be a yielded vessel of honor to you, meet and prepared for the master's use. I want to give myself totally in complete surrender to you so that I can say with Paul, I'm live in Christ. Christ lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, some people have a hard time recognizing whether it's jealousy, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's this, that, or the other thing, maybe a lying tongue or unforgiveness or bitterness and whatever. But you know what? By denying it doesn't change it. You realize that? You can walk in this sanctuary with mud on your shoes and you can say, I don't have mud on my shoes. You've got mud on your shoes. I don't have mud on my shoes. You've got mud on your shoes. I don't have mud on my shoes. You can say all you want. <laughs> Buddy, you've got mud on your shoes. Denying it doesn't do anything about it. But when you say, you know what? I've got mud on my shoes. Let's get them clean. When we say, I've got a problem with anger like he did. Let's get it taken care of, Lord. What a divine exchange. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles and run and not weary and walk and not faint. There's a divine exchange. I'm giving my all to you because I want your all to me. How many know we can't handle all of God like that? This flesh of ours is not equipped and, and basically qualified to take hold of all of God. Little by little, we're transformed and changed from glory to glory. As we look into the mirror of God's word and we see who we are in Christ and we start declaring it and confessing it and proclaiming it, little by little, he takes charge and changes us little by little. A little less of self, a little more of God. And it continues on until we finally get to the place where, praise God, we're more like him. In Mark's gospel, chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. Now, look at these verses here. And one of the multitudes answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth. 
and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast them out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Don't let those words go. Bring him to me. You want a breakthrough? Do we want a breakthrough? Do we want deliverance? Do we want to experience a greater work of God? Bring him to me. His disciples couldn't do it. For whatever reason. He tells the reason you're faithless. You had too much doubt. You didn't position yourself to do something about this. So bring him to me. Jesus was no way moved or intimidated by what the devil was doing. Okay. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. What a sight. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child. And oftentimes, oft times he cast, has cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. He had a suicidal spirit. But if thou canst do anything, you Lord, have compassion on us and help us. Okay. He's making an appeal to the Savior of the world. And Jesus said to him, mm -mm. me, if I can do something, if I have compassion, it's not about me. It's not about who I am, what I have, what I can do. Buddy, it's about you. If you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. And here's where we need to look. Help mine unbelief. I need a breakthrough when it comes to unbelief. What did he do to help him break through his unbelief? He healed his son. And that, that man was delivered and set free from that moment after he was on the ground wallowing, foaming and all that. But notice, he pointed out what the problem was. The problem is not God's power, not his ability. He's not insufficient in resources and strength, power or ability. No, he's not deficient in any of that. But it was unbelief that stopped it from happening. Why is it today in our society, in our Christian world, we don't want to hear that? We want all the responsibility to be placed on him. And if something doesn't happen, well, then it mustn't have been his will. It's not true. Nothing can be further from the truth. God wills all men to be saved. If someone's not getting saved, you're going to say it's not his will? Jesus died for all mankind. If a person's not saved, it's because of them. They didn't come to him. Okay. Well, look at Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verse 18. Jesus is not intimidated by the work of Satan at all. Maybe we could be, but he's not. Notice this. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, whom, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, shall they be your judges. But if I with the, everybody say finger. Finger of God cast out devils. No doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you. Did you notice? Finger. Finger. You read the scriptures and you find out when God did some wonderful, powerful things, he used his arm and his hand. Right? His arm and his hand. His arm was stretched and the Red Sea was parted. His hand mightily worked and created all the universe. 
the works of his hands. So when it talks about his saving strength, when it talks about his deliverance, when it talks about his creative abilities and powers, it refers to his hand and his arm. When it comes to casting out devils, his finger. He's not intimidated by the work of Satan. He doesn't need his arm or his hand. Just flick it. You're out. Get up. You want to see it? Look at uh, Mark 5. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come up out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Devils can't keep someone from Jesus. Thousands of devils and demons inside a human being cannot keep him from coming to Jesus. Can't do it. And of course, you know the rest of the story that Jesus cast out the spirit. And of course, he was in his right mind and sound and clothed and all that. But the point is, all we have to do to be delivered, all we have to do for a breakthrough is to bring ourselves to whom? To Jesus. You don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the ability to do it. But if I present myself to him like, come to this altar, get on my face and my knees before God and just say, I'm here because I want change in my life. I want victory over an area that I've let go for too long. I want a spiritual breakthrough as far as that is concerned. You see, when we talk about spiritual breakthroughs, it's, sometimes people just think, well, it's the whole thing. It happens one person at a time. And when every person says, this is what I want. And then all of a sudden, we catch fire. It's what I want. It's what I want. It's what I want. Let's put a stop to the work of the enemy. Listen, Satan does not have a body. He has no way of operating in the earth. He can't operate in the earth on his own because he doesn't have a physical body to live in. Start from the very beginning. He needed a snake. Right? To speak through. But since the fall of man, what's he trying to do? Get under the earth to accomplish his purposes and his will among people. How does he do it? He uses human beings, bodies. If not a person on this earth would yield to him, he'd have to go somewhere else. You realize that? He'd be out of business. But no one is exempt from yielding to him. And how does he work? Between the ears. No sin was ever committed without a thought first being implanted into the human mind. Which is why we're to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so, if we need a breakthrough, where do we go? To Jesus. We present ourselves to him and we say enough is enough. If it's an anger issue, I'll be like Wigglesworth, change me. Let your power just surge through me and burn that thing right out of my being. If it's lust, in Jesus' name I stand against an unclean spirit. You will not have control over my life. If it's lying, 
I put my tongue before you, Father God. May the power of your Holy Spirit just take over. Put a watch over my lips. Why is it so quiet in here? Because we want 2020 to be a better 2020 than what 2019 was. And we want more glory. We want more power. We want more of God. Which means we must surrender ourselves to him individually and collectively as a church body. And just say, Lord, we want what you want. We're not going with the flow of the world that's out there. We're going with the flow of your kingdom. We want your kingdom manifested among us. Your will to be done on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven. Well, when's the last time you heard of anxiety in heaven? What about war in heaven? What about immorality in heaven? What about sickness in heaven? What about disease? What about mental anguish in heaven? Is any of that in heaven? Well, we want your will done in earth as it is in heaven. And to achieve that, all we have to do is yield to him. Let's all stand together before the Lord.